podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Embrace all ideas, no matter how crazy, how left of center, bad, and how inappropriate they might appear. Collect them all. Incubate them in a place that is exposed to discussion, consideration, re-evaluation, exploration, experimentation, and collaboration. No idea is a bad idea. If you think it's a bad idea, challenge yourself to turn it into a good idea. One seemingly wrong or bad idea becomes a good idea, changes into a great idea, transforms into the right idea. Give it water, food, and time. It might be relevant 10 years from now. An idea should never be drowned, buried, or lost. Rather, simply stored away until it's time to resuscitate it from the shadows of its perceived shame. Vital Germain. In this episode, Vital Germain talks about how change is inevitable, but transformation is a choice as well as other thoughts in between. Vital honed his craft of culture, creativity, and teamwork on stage at Cirque du Soleil as an acrobat and team captain. A second act in hospitality and entrepreneurship added business acumen to his repertoire. Vital's keynotes and trainings transform the ordinary into the extraordinary with innovative techniques that fly in the face of conventional wisdom charismatically engaging audiences with a motivating and memorable message. Vital's signature takeaway leaves a lasting impression that allows attendees to recapture the magic of their imagination. His keynotes and trainings are impactful, actionable, transformational, and fun. He is fluent in English, French, and Dutch and has given keynotes to international groups in those languages, including for Dell Technologies Europe. He has a positive attitude and ease of connecting with any audience to build platforms that stimulate growth, expand horizons, disrupt, and broaden perspectives. 
To read Vital's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Here is the interview with Vital Germain. In your own words, who is Vital Germain? <laughs> that is a very good question. Wow, you don't play right off the bat. I'm pretty eclectic. I've got a multicultural background. And I've actually been able to sum it up in one sentence. Are you ready for this? Yes. I am a Belgian national with a British accent, born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, who got to live the American dream by way of a French-Canadian circus. So once upon a time, I was a performer in Cirque du Soleil as an acrobat and did that for over five years. So in other words, I'm a social mutt. I fit in everywhere and nowhere. (laughs) That is interesting from my understanding of what life is. So my official first question, since you mentioned the Cirque du Soleil, is what have you learned from working for Cirque du Soleil? What have you learned about life? The lessons learned from Cirque du Soleil are endless. Where to begin? There are so many levels. On a personal level, for me, it was a defining moment in my life because This is one of the big takeaways is that in life, we pursue what we think is our purpose. We think this is our dream and we see it very clearly. And at the time, I left Belgium and I'd sacrificed everything to go to New York. I wanted to be a dancer at the time and I was so focused on MTV. I was going to be in a music video. I was going to dance for Michael Jackson. And that was was it. That was the dream. And living in New York for two years, I was hyper-focused. And along comes this circus that I'd never heard about. And a friend had suggested, why don't you just go and audition for this crazy circus? She couldn't remember their name. And I thought, this is silly. Why would I go and run away with a circus and clean up elephant dung and roommate with a bearded lady because I had no idea who they were? I auditioned for them. And we can talk more about the audition process, but I auditioned for them thinking this is stupid. And they offered me the job and I turned down. Why? Because I was hyper-focused on my dream. So the lesson that I really learned from that is have a dream. Don't be so attached to it because sometimes in the pursuit of what we think is the dream, it actually guides us to a bigger, different picture that we maybe didn't consider. In a nutshell, remain open-minded to what the universe, your God, Allah, whatever your religious or universal power is, remain open to those possibilities because then more possibilities present themselves. So that was one of my big takeaways. Be open to what is being presented to you. Wow. Um, Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. What is your relationship with the universe as far as practices, daily practices? I meditate. I remain as open-minded as I can to belief systems. I personally don't put a label on it. I honor the labels that other people place on them. I don't have a label. So for me, I don't call it anything. It is a practice that I do to honor whatever that higher power is for you. I respect and honor everybody's belief system. And I I try and remain open to that in, in my daily 
practices, my daily routines. Meditation, you could say, is praying, however you want to define that. But for me, it is more formal, more standard meditation where I try and focus my energy, my thoughts on something specific, whether it's for me directly or whether it's for the bigger picture that brings value to the community, to my friends, to my significant other, to the world. Right. Would you say that your belief in God, the universe, or higher power and practice of meditation, is all this um, being spiritual or you define as spirituality? No, I don't define it as anything. That's, that's a part of sort of one of my big messages in life is to be, it's, it's based on the Buddhist concept of mu or mu, depending on how you want to pronounce it, mu. In a nutshell, it's the answer to a question that a student presents to Buddha in terms of what is Buddha nature. And the answer is, it is yes and no. It is right and wrong. It is black and white. So for me, my philosophy is if I don't put labels or restrictions on how I live, then I open myself up to whatever, everything and anything without limitation. So I don't call it any specific type of thing. I just exist in the best way that I possibly can with authenticity, integrity, and as much empathy as I possibly can. Do I succeed in that? But I, I don't always succeed, but that is at least the objective. Right. I was about to ask you, how do you deal with uh, when you don't get your own way? Like everybody else. Like everybody else. I cry, I get frustrated, I get disappointed. <laughs> right. Hmm. But um, it seems like you are aware that there's something, there's a lesson behind whatever happens, right? It's happening for a reason or maybe it's just happening because it's just life is a happening. Oh, both. And I love that. Yes, I think a part of the journey is life just is. We There isn't always a need to break it down to its components and try and understand it and validate it. Sometimes it just is because that's just the way it is. And I think humans, we tend to need explanation and understanding. And it doesn't have to be. Sometimes just go along with what is happening without question, without doubt, and just be. It's very liberating. When you can just be, Elkhart Tolle will call it, you know, in the moment, the power of now. If you just live in, in the moment without preconceived notions, without limited beliefs, without uh, prejudice and biases, it's very hard to do. But when you can reach that level of, I'm just going along with what is happening, it's quite incredible how some amazing things will happen. Mm, yeah. Uh, do you think it's possible to live without any beliefs? <laughs> yes. Hmm. But what about the, the belief in our identity, in the, the body? Because the body is something that um, exists as far as uh, this reality. So isn't it a form of belief as well that we have to do certain things to keep the body healthy or we have to, there's a lot of haves in order to keep this life force here now going? It's a good question. And now that you phrased it that way, I'm going to backtrack on my, on my answer because you made me realize something. I guess it depends how you interpret belief. So for me, belief means I'm open to the possibility of. For some people, belief might be you either believe or you don't, which negates the options. So for example, you mentioned the body and the, the, all these elements, physical elements. Well, let's say we are in the matrix. 
play with me here. Let's say we were living in what's called the matrix. Then what is the reality? We don't know. We, we fill in the blanks with our level of knowledge. And so we believe in what we can fathom. It doesn't mean that it is the truth or non-truth. So it, it comes down to how do you interpret the word belief? Mm. Yes, that's true. One of the things that I talk about a lot is fear and love. And I think fear and the aggregates of fear, they get in the way. They become the obstacles to love. So with that in mind, is that possible to become fearless? No, I think fear is a good thing. We're afraid of, of fear. We are we're emotional. First, we're emotional beings, which means we have to experience emotions and fear is an emotion that we experience. We program ourselves as human beings to almost ignore or, or nullify certain emotions. Fear can be a protective mechanism. I think the challenge is to not be handcuffed or shackled by the fear. It's just a guide. It's, it's, it's a warning sometimes. But fear can also be a platform to motivate you. We either run away from pain or we run towards pleasure. If you're so afraid of something, it will motivate you to take action fight, flight, or freeze. That's depending on your reaction. But I don't think fear is a something to run away from, to hide, uh, to keep out of our life. It's, it's something to leverage. Yes, um, I agree. Are you afraid of anything as of now? I have many fears. Some of them I'm not willing to share <laughs> on this public, public forum. But I have, I have a lot of fears. Some, you know, there's the fear, fear of failure fear of rejection, fear of not being good enough. So the fears are there, the fear of getting hurt, the fear of uh, dying, the same fears everybody experiences. However, what I try to remind myself is, okay, this is the fear, I acknowledge it, but I try to not let it imprison me. Again, some of the things that I'm sharing here, I don't succeed, I'm not being uh, holier than thou, it's just these are my objectives, and sometimes I fail miserably. So all of us, right? Yes. And it's okay to fail. Right. Yeah, I agree. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself, others, and life as of today? Well, you don't play. One of the hardest lessons about myself. As I, in getting older, I think when I was younger, I was driven and I could generalize it. Most of us are sort of driven by ego and we're full of naivete and we we just do things without really thinking in getting older i started understanding what my weaknesses were but also what my strengths were and that ties into something deeper in self-analysis self-evaluation i started to find a sense of purpose but to get to that sense of purpose i had to overcome a lot of incredible challenges about myself my inadequacies where i i again where i just simply wasn't good enough when you're not when you realize that you're not good enough do you then give up or then do you pursue how do i get the tools to become good enough mm. what is to be good enough it's subjective it's relative i like to live with the philosophy that i'm never good enough what that allows me then to do is the constant pursuit of growth I, I think that if we accept that, yeah, I'm the shit. I'm really good. That for me is the potential beginning of decline because complacency can kick in, overconfidence can, can manifest. So I think that life's journey is to fall, learn, get back up and continually evolve and grow. So we're, ne we're never good enough at, at the moment. But however, we always have the potential. Right. Mm. 
I like that. Um, so in a way, we become inspired to follow the flow of life, which is constantly changing anyway. What is your greatest joy, Vital? Ooh, that's, uh, it comes on, on many levels. As a performer in Cirque du Soleil, the greatest joy was to have the feeling that I connected and touched the heart, the soul, the spirit of somebody in the audience through being a part of this amazing production that, because I remember when I saw it for the first time, I felt like I'd had a, and I'm going to use the word religious, a religious experience. It, I was touched so deeply that I felt something in me changed. So when I became a part of that production, it was so fulfilling and enriching to know that I'm touching people at their core. Now, as a, an author and a speaker, it's the same thing. When I'm giving a workshop, a keynote, a training, whether it's to an executive team or individuals, and I can connect and see somebody, a light go off in their, in their mind, in their head, that I've connected with them and inspired a shift, that brings me so much joy, fulfillment, sense of purpose. So that is one of my reasons, my elements of joy. And then the simplicity of playing with my dog. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Sometimes joy is being, being mindful, taking the time to appreciate the sound of the wind in really enjoying the exchange with somebody that you care for and love and that cares and loves for you. Joy is, is endless if we allow it to happen and encourage it to happen if we pay attention when it's there. Right. And it can be really simple, like you said. Um, it can come from something that unexperienced that's simple. Yes. Now, there are certain things that bring me immediate joy, like one of my favorite sounds is the sound of children playing. The innocence, the purity, the, that brings me joy. So I can break down and give you a top 10 list of things that bring me joy. But if I put that collectively, it's, it can be everything and anything at any given moment of the day. Right. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong in having preferences, right? As long as we are aware that everything's connected. How do you define success? I think success is, I've, I've read some articles and some quotes, and there was somebody that summed it up to something on the lines of, Success is when expectations meet reality. So I have expectations, I have my dreams, and if I can, if a reality aligns with what I'm trying to become, I could argue that I feel successful because the two align. Success looks different for different people. For me, it's not necessarily, a lot of people associate success with a, a number in terms of money. That's just one way to gauge success. Success can be the amount of people whose lives you impact. Success can be the amount of moments or memories that you create with a loved one. But for me, success is if my dreams and objectives align with reality, then I have achieved my goal and I'm fulfilling my purpose. Success is fulfilling your purpose. For the time being, right? Because we talked earlier about the change and the ever-changing purposes or dreams. We should be open to the change. Yes, you mentioned the word religion, and I mentioned the word spirituality earlier. Do you know what's the difference between spirituality, religion, and freedom? Uh, I, if we take out the word freedom, freedom is not being tied to either of them. In terms of the difference between religion and spirituality, I'm not sure. I used to think that they were very different, and I don't know if it's me and my perception that 
religion is embracing or engulfing the word spirituality because it broadens its reach. I thought the two were very separate. I thought religion had to do with some type of God, some type of deity, whereas spirituality had to just simply to do with a realm that is beyond the physical plane. But it's they are becoming synonymous. I, I wish they weren't, but I think that's society evolving. So religion and spirituality are whatever you want them to be for you. Right. I love the way you removed the word freedom. What is creativity? Oh, my favorite, favorite topic. So uh, creativity is my specialty. And I, you probably will get there at some point. But I, I wrote a book called Imagination Will Take You everywhere. And it all has to do with creativity. So I can elaborate on this in terms of creativity. I'm going to begin by saying this. All of you who think that you're not creative, I hate to sh say it with you, but you're wrong because everybody is creative. Why do people think they're not creative? Because when we are younger, we are taught creativity at school through drawing, painting, playing music. And then what happens is if somebody is not good at drawing, if somebody's not good at painting, if somebody's not good at music, they tell themselves, I am not creative. And then they negate and deny themselves from this incredible potential that their mind and spirit and brain has. So here's the nuance. Those who think that they're not creative, what they really mean is that they are not artistic. There's a difference between being creative and being artistic. Everybody is creative. The gift of creativity is relative. Some people have a heightened sense of creativity, which leads to the creation of beautiful works of art. But a lawyer is creative. An athlete is creative. An accountant is creative. At least I hope your accountant's creative. But everybody is creative, but not everybody is a creative. So we all have creative potential. If we tap into our inner child and we all have imagination, therefore, if you have imagination, you can come up with a solution, an answer, an, an option, an alternative. It's just a question of, you tapping into and acknowledging the power of your imagination. Right. Is imagination a memory? Imagination, I don't want to define it because by defining it, it denies the, the wealth of freedom. You mentioned the word freedom. Imagination is freedom. And by, deny, by defining it, we almost negate that freedom. But imagination is, it's basically the ability to, I mean, the, it's based on the brain. All these synapses firing and there are a gazillion a combination of how those synapses can fire within your brain. So the possibilities are endless. So why would you define it or limit what imagination is? Imagination is just the ability to conjure up thoughts, concepts, ideas. They can be abstract. They can be literal. They can be vague. They can be, they can be rebellious. It's limitless. Mm, yeah, it makes sense to me. But it's one of the most powerful tools that we have as human beings, the gift of imagination. Every solution starts because somebody came up with the idea and it, it was the launching pad through their imagination. And a, a quote, Albert Einstein, logic will take you from A to B. Imagination will take you everywhere. You wrote, um, no idea is a bad idea. I just want to understand this better. How good was the idea of creating the atomic bomb? Okay. The idea of the, so this is the answer. The idea of the technology behind it was not a bad idea. The implementation of the idea was bad. They are not related. Yeah, that I have no knowledge about, but I, I thought so. 
the idea was created trying to solve a problem? Uh, yes, I, I can elaborate. So I think a big component about ideas is the intention behind the idea. And to be more specific, what I meant by no idea is a bad idea, it's, it's all part of the innovation journey or process. And what tends to happen in the business world and also as individuals is that somebody will come up with an idea and the immediate answer will be, no, nah, that's not going to work because they view it as a bad idea. One of the great things I learned in Cirque du Soleil is how they just encouraged us to give ideas and suggestions. And what appears to be a bad idea right now, if you give it a bit of oxygen and a bit of water, it morphs and it changes. So what appeared to be a bad idea turns into a better idea, turns into a good idea, becomes the right idea. That's what, I'm, that's what I mean by no idea is a bad idea. Okay, yeah, uh, I appreciate the elaboration on that. Well, again, it's, in, it's the context. Again, the context was in terms of creativity and innovation that an idea is the seed and it can grow. When you talk about that no idea is a bad idea, it also comes to mind things like, you know, a lot of bad ideas that have been realized in our societies, um, tons of them, you know, from racism to fast food chains, um, the Holocaust, going back there, you know, with Hitler and his idea of solving that kind of problem, his societal problem, and then that was a horrifying idea. It's my concern that people could hear you and then they run with bad ideas that will hurt a lot of people because they feel like they're entitled to just, you know, follow their dreams, their, their thoughts. I understand that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate. And thank you for that opportunity because it's, it's very important. So let's go with the, the, the Hitler thing. So a horrible, horrible, horrific situation, the Holocaust, and some are going to argue it never existed. That's secondary. The idea, the concept of the Holocaust is atrocious. Some of the things that Hitler did are atrocious. Slavery, atrocious. Uh, anything that is suppression and cruelty in any capacity is wrong. But it's not I'm going to be poetic and romantic in the sense that I'm not going to say Hitler had this uh, idea of being cruel. It's not an idea. That's just a reflection of a personality type. It's a reflection of intention. I think, and I, I hope people won't hold this against me. I'm going to, this is a very, you've asked a very delicate question. If I break down on a purely positive level of what Hitler's idea was, he did it in the worst possible way, but I believe his idea might have been to create a healthier nation, okay, a healthier race. Let's just say that that was his intention, which we know it wasn't, but let's say that it was. What medicine is doing today is we try to eliminate disease. We try to find cures. We're, we're learning to manipulate DNA so that humans can become healthier, live longer. So let's say that was his intention, but uh, his idea, but the intention and the implementation was horrible. Shame on that. And, you know, the, again, it's somebody's intention and somebody's character type. If they are evil, that does not tie into my concept of driving innovation. Shame, shame on those people who implement pain in any capacity. Right. I appreciate that. So moving on, what is innovation mindset and how do we apply it to business and our personal lives? So innovation, the mindset is, comes down to several factors, starting with imagination as the foundation of the new, the different, the exciting growth, evolution, all of these things. 
the mindset is there are certain attributes, one of them being being open to receiving new ideas, different ideas, having the courage to challenge the status quo, having the courage to take risks. The only way you can innovate, grow, advance, evolve is to take risks along that journey. So the mindset of taking a risk is you've got to be willing to fail. We briefly talked about failure earlier on. Failure is, back in the day, I would hear people say, oh no, failure is not an option. No, please reframe that. Failure should be a part of your, failure should be a part of your strategy. Because if you're not failing, it means you're not growing. The objective with failure is to fail forward or to fail quickly. You try something, it doesn't work, you adapt, you change, you re-evaluate, you improve. But you, you need to fail. So you've got to have the mentality of, in organizations, if you want innovation, you've got to let your employees, your pe- your team, your people know, let's try this. And if you fail, don't worry about it. It's an opportunity to learn. But what happens in organizations is that people are, are afraid to fail because they think they're going to get fired. They're, ex- they're afraid to express their ideas. When employees can't express or try or invest in a project, they become disengaged. Mm, right. That makes so much sense to me. So in a, it's, it's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's an approach. You write and you speak about developing the ability to explore, fail, like you just mentioned, uh, discover, adapt, learn, and grow. So from this, I have several questions for you, one of which is, what is the difference between explore and discover? <laughs> well, one is a result of the other. So if the only way to, di- the only way to discover is to explore. <laughs> there, it is, there it is right there. <laughs> right. Um, I would say so. Right. Uh, so we cannot discover without exploring. Sometimes it happens. Right? Yeah, yes, you can. Because yes, sometimes it just happens. You, you, dis- you, you stumble across something, pure coincidence. But again, it ties back to the mindset. If you discover something, but your mind wasn't open or receptive to it, you wouldn't have discovered it. You would have, you would have walked right by it without acknowledging it. So the innovation mindset is also being aware of opportunity of signs, of, of inspiration, because it's, it's constantly around us if we pay attention. All the answers are always there. Huh. So when you talk about signs and paying attention, are you also talking about intuition? Most definitely. What is intuition? Intuition is defined by different people in different ways, and sometimes people overlap instinct and intuition. I'm going to get pretty deep on on the word intuition because some people just say intuition is a gut feeling. I'm going to go even deeper that on a cellular level, every atom, every molecule has a memory. We divide or define time as this linear concept. If you let go of that, the universe is neither the present, the past, or the future. It just is in its different forms. It overlaps, it intertwines, there are different levels, there are different dimensions. So if everything has a memory, we have already, we are made of space dust in some capacity. Energy never dies, it just changes, it becomes something else, which means it's got this collection of experiences and memories that just get put into a different form. We know the wisdom of the universe is just a question of connecting to it trusting that knowledge and what happens is that intuition gets it gets diluted or compromised because of programming as human beings because of conceived notions because of limited beliefs because of biases 
But when, when we meditate and we really align with our true, pure self, the answers are there. Reference people like Rumi who get much deeper into this. But if you trust intuition, the heart, it, it all connects with the heart. The heart is actually, it sends more signals to the brain than the brain does to the heart. The heart is our nucleus of knowledge. The brain basically analyzes, dissects, reconnects all those that information, but the heart is your source of intuition. It knows. The challenge is to know when, is it truly intuition? Is it, is it universal wisdom or is it fear? Is it insecurity? Is it based on previous memories? It's, it's very delicate. Mm, that, would you say that this is a, a practice for life? Yes. Knowing the difference? It's, I, I don't know. I, I, myself, I try to tap into my truest source of intuition and there are always questions and doubts and insecurities that come and, and mess up the picture. It's, it's very difficult. But we're humans. We're humans, so we're not perfect. Right. Right. So it goes back yeah, to being human, right? That we can be perfect. So to quickly add to this, Valeria, if you'll allow me, in terms of intuition, let intuition be your, your guide. However, you do need to take into consideration, you've got to bring in information. You've got to collect information in regards to a certain situation. There are other components to take into consideration with, along with your intuition. And instinct is a primordial reflex to protect us. So instinct and intuition are not the same, but they overlap. Mm. Instincts being a protective system mechanism. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really challenging. Yeah. Trying to know the difference, like we talked before, this is something to me, it's like a practice for our entire life. It is a practice ongoing. So going back to the uh, exploration, and discovery, exploration especially. What is to explore in business and what is to explore at a personal level? And the follow-up question is, can we explore those two at the same time? But what about if they don't match? Well, in a perfect world, the two will match because if you are doing the right type of work, if you are following, you know, I, I'll reference Simon Sinek, start with why. If your business platform is truly built on your deeper sense of purpose, on your core values, your, your personal core values should be a part of your business core values. If you're working for a company whose core values are the complete opposite of you, you will be miserable. So the two definitely have a parallel. They complement each other. So advice for people out there is work with people, organizations, run a company that is true and authentically a reflection of your values. Your values define who you are. Now, in terms of uh, exploration in the business world, it has to do with things like market research, understanding your, your client base. What is the pulse of the economy? So these are factors that you've got to explore. Explore new ways of doing something. Explore ways to improve your product, improve your service. Explore ways to inspire your workforce. It's an ongoing process to improve and bring more value to your customers, to the community, to whatever it is that you're offering. On a personal level, in terms of exploration, it also has to do with introspection and explore, take the time to explore who you are, what your purpose is, what your likes are, what your dislikes are, what you stand for, what you, what angers you, self-discovery. As a result of the exploration, you discover yourself. Right. Wow. I love what he said, that our businesses should be a reflection of our 
personal beliefs, of our personal values. I love that. And then, then you are living authentically. Right, right. That's wonderful. You mentioned uh, failure. That's also part of becoming successful. How do we know when failure happened as a consequence of self-sabotage? Is, is the way we deal with failure connected with the way we deal with ourselves? Oh, I'm sure they're connected because it's about, it's about attitude. It's how do you respond to a failure? And to connect something, I mean, attitude for me is one of the key components to success. And I'm doing air, air parentheses to success. Tying it back to something we talked about earlier on, the Holocaust. One of my favorite quotes about attitude and how we respond to something is Viktor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor. This is what he says about attitude. He says, the last of human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. That includes failure. No, so attitude is how you respond or react to everything and anything that happens around you. So if you have failed, what is your response to that failure? Is it going to paralyze you? Is it going to make you give up? Or is it going to make you get up? I love quotes. Michael Jordan is the ultimate quote on failure. He says, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost more than 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. So failure, failure is what you make of it. Don't analyze too much why you failed or how you failed. It's a learning opportunity to move on to the next level if your attitude or perspective is in a healthy place. Right. And going back to uh, self-evaluation, self-knowledge, I like that too. Um, talking about adaptation, is the first step to adaptation to be open to change? And why do so many of us resist change <laughs> well it's it's human nature to resist change simply because we get into comfort zones we know what works and it's scary it's cliche but it's scary to step out of your comfort zone because we all have comfort zones that we feel warm and cuddly and safe but the only way to grow is to step out of that comfort zone and, and going back to Cirque du Soleil very quickly that was the most amazing things about their process how they engaged us, how they got us to, I, I witnessed them turn great performers into extraordinary outstanding performers by pushing them to step out of their comfort zone and take risks. Because through stepping out of your comfort zone is where you discover your greatness. Things, they were things that we didn't even know we could do. We wouldn't have even imagined we were capable of doing it. And they pushed us and challenged us. And when we stepped into that unknown, we suddenly realized, wow, who knew that I could do this? Who knew that I had it in me? You talked about freedom. That is freedom. Yeah, I like that a lot, Vital. Um, my only concern is that we could fall for um, following other people's uh, demands or expectations of us, and then we could end up, I don't know, hurt or dead. So, you know, the answer to that is we talked about values. If you know your values, if you know your values and you're going to honor your values, you know your boundaries. And nobody will make you do something that doesn't align with what you're willing to do. Right. So going back again to self-awareness, to you, to your own values, right? And see if they match with whatever other people expect and want from us, right? Um, what is the difference between adapting and conforming? 
conforming is your your handcuff you're restricted you're you're basically a zombie going through life having been told what to do how to think how to be and what was the other word you, you compared conforming with adapting so adapting is non-conformity this is the irony if adapting is the standard way of doing things then you're conforming but unfortunately that's not the way it is but adapting is embracing we're we're in constant flux in in every aspect of our lives so if you're willing to adapt to what's happening you're opening new doors and through the the bigger your ability to adapt and change and embrace the new the less you will be tied down to tradition and conformity you are again setting yourself free un- unshackling the the chains and allowing yourself to go into new different directions that will hopefully improve your life and the life of others mm, that makes sense yeah. adaptation might be connected also to uh, acceptance that will bring a sense of peace but then conforming i think it will leave us in that place but better <laughs> Oh, I like that how you compared adaptability with acceptance. Thank you for that. Yes. I might I might have to steal that. <laughs> yes, do it. <laughs> Please do it. <laughs> What is the difference between learning and understanding? Okay, I can teach you a skill. Okay, so I can teach you how to open up your iPhone and send a text. You have no clue concept how it actually works. But you just do it. So I've taught you a skill. When you have an understanding for something, you can break down the components and actually know why and and how the certain elements have to be aligned for something to work. But I would take the two more understanding is more conceptual. It's understanding emotions, understanding larger concepts and again it can be literally how components are put together scientifically or it can just be understanding elements of life. But the two are not the same. Right. Would you say that learning it's more connected to objectivity and understanding subjectivity? That ties into it. Here's, here's an example that I just thought of. So I can teach you that a tomato is a fruit, right? But if you understand what a tomato is, you won't put it in a fruit salad because it doesn't belong. <laughs> True. Unless you want to disrupt the status quo and not conform. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is good too. That's been creative. <laughs> I guess it's been creative. Um, yeah, that's really good. Um, and then it might be understanding might be connected to wisdom experience. Oh, definitely. Yes. I wanted to ask you about strong leadership since you mentioned this in your, web- your website. What is strong leadership? Do you have a clear definition? And again I love quotes so I'm going to share my leadership quote that I live by and that I like to share with people and then I'll elaborate a little bit more. So this quote is from John Quincy Adams. He was either the 6th or the 4th president of the United States and his quote on leadership is this. If your actions inspire others to learn more, do more, dream more and become more, you are a leader. So what does that mean? Leadership has changed. Several years ago, decades ago, centuries ago, leadership was about power modern leadership is about empowerment so as a leader your objective is not to control the people it's to provide them with tools that they themselves now can make decisions they themselves in their own right can become tomorrow's leaders that for me is the modern leader right there and it's unfortunately lacking in businesses because 
most leaders or most managers are just there to have power and authority. And so they tell, they tell people what to do. Telling people what to do doesn't engage them. It doesn't inspire them. It makes them puppets. It makes them um, program drones. And that's not fair. Hmm. That's true. Maybe with the exception, um, exception of people who are technicians, then there's just one way of doing something to achieve quality. Yes, I agree with you. So let's call them the worker bee. So as a leader, another huge component of good leadership is emotional intelligence. So you become aware of who you're dealing with and you treat each person according to their strengths and weaknesses. But again, if I know that you're a technician or a worker bee, my objective is to empower you. So how do I empower you? By giving you a 10-step process that you've got to follow. The intention is still there to empower you, but I'm adapting the implementation in accordance to who you are as an individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Well, I love that, uh, Vital, the way you talk about the transition uh, moving from the place of power and dictatorship to empowerment and inspiration. That's beautiful. Two last questions related to what you do. Um, what is to transform? Transformation is becoming, oh no, oh no, again, I'm, I'm a romantic. I don't mean romantic in terms of holding hands, walking along the beach, a romantic in believing in a better, in a better life, in a better world. So transformation is becoming the next better version of yourself. And it's not easy. It, it's painful. It's, it's a process. And for those, there are people in life who don't want to change, who don't want to transform, and they are perfectly happy living on the same plane for their entire life. And that's good for them. If it makes them happy, it's the right way for them to live. But for anybody who is, who is curious and hungry to improve, then transformation is becoming the better version of yourself. Right. And the interesting thing that I have found out um, recently is that transforming or becoming this better person has a lot to do with unlearning, undoing, unlearning, not the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Again, going back to our programming, a lot of things we need to shed and let go because they are holding us back. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's a huge component of transform transformation, letting go. Um, what is to live a richer and happier life? Wow, you have a way of asking these uh, very profound questions. What is the way of living a richer and happier life? I don't know if I can sum it up in a, in a nutshell, but so I think as going back to the individual and our core values, it's understanding who you are, understanding what your needs are. So there's, there's, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's this pyramid that breaks down the fundamentals of human needs and how we can self-actualize. And it sort of starts with basic components as uh, nutrition and water and food, then it's security like family and uh, self-esteem and and creativity and all these things. So it's it's a question of understanding your needs, who you are, and then reverse engineering that and discovering, exploring ways to become those things. When you can achieve your objectives and your goals, I think that's when you find you know the happiness, the fulfillment, the joy, the, the satisfaction. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Do you want to uh, close the the previous subject before I move on with unrelated ones? No, no. We, we can move on to, I'm going to say, more philosophical questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Vital. That's really great. Uh, so what is love? 
Love is what defines the universe. Love is why we're here. We're here to experience it. We're here to share it. It's a very simple concept. It's the vibration of the universe. It's the vibration and intention of all religions, all belief systems. They all promote and preach this concept of love. They don't all execute it in the same way. They don't all succeed in, in its interpretation. But love is the language of the universe. Wow, that's beautiful. Do you think that one day we could become love with capital L? Romantically, yes. On a physics level, if, if you want to buy into the concept, I think it's Newton who says that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. To have light, there must be darkness. So unfortunately, to have love or to experience love, there must also be the opposite. And I, and I don't think that hate is the opposite of love. I'm going to say that indifference is the opposite of love. Huh, indifference. Maybe, maybe that's... That. That's interesting. I reflect a lot about love and fear. And the more I, I reflect on, I see that uh, whatever we call love, is actually in between those two. And it, it's not indifference because we actually are able to accept everything just as everything is. Uh, let's say being happy for no reason, just for being alive, that includes everything. Just life, my life the way it is, me as a human being, just the way I am, accepting everybody around me, life, everything. So I don't think that's being indifferent. No, you did. You did. And, and I agree with you. Well uh, communicated. And um, I buy into your philosophy right there. Thank you. <laughs> I buy into yours too. <laughs> Always love. <laughs> I love. I mean, that. Oh, man. Okay, let me stop here. One of my other last questions is, what is to be strong? Yes, for men and women, is there a difference? What is to, what is to be strong? I can only give it from the perspective of a man, but I think you talked earlier on about being fearless. So sh being strong is not being fearless. Being strong is having courage. So what does that mean? Courage is when you are afraid, but you move on. You continue nonetheless. Strength is the, the desire, the, the will, the mindset to persevere with determination, focus. That is being strong. To not allow yourself to be broken. Now, as I say to not allow yourself to be broken, there have been times in my life where I have been broken. The key is to not remain broken. I felt like I've been uh, hurt and devastated to the point where I was in a million pieces and, and couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It took strength to slowly dig myself out of that predicament piece by piece. To quickly tap into the difference between men and women, I will say this. I personally believe women are emotionally stronger. I personally believe women are more equipped to handle trauma. I'm going to go one further. I actually personally believe that if we lived in a more matriarchal society where women, and it's changing, it's shifting, but I believe women have elevated levels of emotional intelligence, have elevated levels of empathy. And I think a world with more empathy would be a lot more beautiful. Mm, wow. I like that, right? Not because I'm a woman, because I don't really take sides. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I have been reflecting on that lately. It seems like it's harder to be to be a man than it is to be a woman. 
it's pretty hard being a man. It's pretty hard. I don't know if it's harder, but it's pretty hard. <laughs> it's hard being a human being. Yeah, right. It's hard to be a human being. True. Yes. I like that better. Um, if you knew you would die soon, would you make any change uh, in your life or do anything differently? Of course. I, I don't buy into when people say, oh, I have no regrets. No, I have plenty of regrets. There are some things that I wish I had done. There are some things that I wish I hadn't done. The positive out of it, though, is the things that I regret were learning experiences. You either win or you learn. So the things that I regret have hopefully empowered me to become better. The, the biggest regret would be, I think, ultimately, and I, if I could turn back the linear concept of time, the people that I hurt, the people who I didn't honor, that I didn't respect enough, if I could turn back time, they would be the first changes that I would make because um, in getting older, I'm starting to understand and appreciate more, going back into the concept of love, I'm starting to understand and value the concept of love and how that's why we're here. And in, in my youth, I was less aware. I was blinded by my ego, by my testosterone, and I probably hurt a lot of people on the way. We all have. We all have. Um, that's great. Uh, do you believe in life after death? I believe and disbelieve. Again, I'm open to the possibility because I don't know. Hmm. That's interesting. So there's no desire or wish for um, mind continuation or reincarnation or living on. <laughs> I, I lean to the yes, there is in terms of we come back in multiple forms. I, I'm open to that concept. Will I uh, stand up and, and defend that concept? No, because I can neither prove it or disprove it. It goes back to the Buddhist concept of mu. It is both yes and no, but I like to think that there is. If there is, do you wish for a certain kind of life after death or you're also open to whatever kind of life? there might be. I want to come back as a puppy, a puppy dog that is love and that time stands still and I forever remain this puppy that is loved and fed and that's so cute. <laughs> right. That's really great. <laughs> a puppy. Mm, a puppy forever. Okay, cool. Yeah. And my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure? I'm going to quote Socrates, the more I know, the more I realize I know nothing. So that actually answers all three. There's nothing that I know for sure. There's nothing, there's nothing that I know for sure. It's a great question and I have a lame answer, but I, I, I think I've gained enough wisdom to know that my knowledge is so limited that I can't claim to know anything for sure. Wow. Thank you so much for your presence, Vital. It's been <laughs> meaningful and fun. It's been... <laughs> It's been fun. It's been deep. It's been <laughs> philosophical. And uh, thank you for the great questions you asked and allow me to elaborate. It's been a true pleasure and honor. Thank you, Valeria. Thank you so much. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your work, your products, your books, future projects? My website is my full name, vitalgermain.com. And people can find me on social media across the board, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, under vitalgermain. Wonderful. Really great. Thank you so much again for your presence. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. 
To learn more about Vital Germain, please visit his website, vitalgermain.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.